Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice. And the peace of God will be with you. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word. Um, The danger when you arrive near the end of the series of a book, and I believe you have my good uh, friend and brother David Knowles next week, if your, your, your sheet's correct and hasn't been updated. The danger when you arrive at the end of the series of a book or a letter when several people are, are teaching is without doubt repetition. But we ought not to be afraid of that because the Word of God repeats itself often and reminds us of tremendous truths. If I'm not mistaken, I'm the 13th speaker in your series in Philippians. And so no doubt you have had many people come to you and explain um, the, the letter and the background to the letter. Now, there will be some need at times, but not overly, I trust, just to mention some things that have happened in the letter by way of context. And thank you for reading, Val, from, from verse 4 the, this morning. But I don't intend to go over a great, to a great extent through everything that you've looked at. You'll probably be relieved at that. And I've taken the time to listen to the message of of last week, which I I, I really appreciated. And also the first lesson which Andrew brought to you by way of introduction to the letter. I'm sorry I haven't had time to listen to all the teachers in between. Uh, But I have listened to those two online this week in, in preparation for this. By any omission of mine today, by way of context, then I encourage you um, to look online if you've missed any messages on your YouTube channel and watch it and catch up to get a refreshing in your mind and understanding of the letter. I want us to think here of, of, in these two verses, of right thinking, which should lead us to right living. Right thinking should lead us to right thinking. Because I want to underline in our minds today the importance of what we fill it with. And loving the Lord with our minds, which we are commanded to do. To love the Lord with our minds. Yes, we have to love the Lord with all our heart, soul, and mind, but we want to be thinking about how we might love the Lord with our minds based on these few verses. And it's important for us to know that the Apostle Paul, no doubt, 
is not sitting in a chaise long somewhere in the south of France. No, he, he is in prison, no doubt, in Rome. And he is writing to dear friends of his whom he loves deeply in the Lord and his earnest desire is to be with them. His earnest desire is to have fellowship with them again. He has toiled in Christian service. He's worked hard and the weight of the work has taken its toll on Paul. And it's not just taking its toll, if you read through his other letters, it's not just taking its toll on him spiritually and mentally, but also physically. And in chapter 3, he's mentioned those who are enemies of the cross and the need to stand firm face with persecution and challenges is here present in these verses. And Paul's concern for these believers is, is that they should, according to chapter 2, as dear children of God, living in a quite depraved, depraved and crooked generation, to shine like stars in the universe. If we are going to shine like stars as Christians, if we are going to show the world out there that we belong to Jesus, then we are going to have to be careful of what we put in our minds and what we contemplate and what we think and what we mull over in our minds. And Paul is saying this here. And as he continues in his letter and as he talks about his travel plans, he describes for them Two of the brightest stars he has come across in his travels in Timothy and Epaphroditus and who form part of his team and also some he has described who are the exact opposite of them, evil men whom he describes as dogs. And what he is saying in this letter up until now is this, live for and like Jesus. And in doing so, he has talked about the importance of relationships, which is in chapter 4. And so he tells them in the first chapter of his letter, uh, going back, whatever happens to me in the context of whether Paul will make it out of prison or not, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel. And again, he says in chapter 2, do nothing out of um, selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility, consider others better than yourself. And Paul is going to encourage, as you looked at last week, two ladies in this chapter 4 to agree with each other in the Lord. Now, all of this, of this is important as we got into the text of chapter 4. For Paul has given the example par excellence of living like Jesus by explaining the very attitude and mind of Jesus Christ. It is indeed a high calling that Christians are called to. And I hope as we meditate, and I use that word well in the context of, of biblical understanding, as we meditate on these two verses, we see the heart and the desire of the Apostle Paul for the church at Philippi. Now, I just want us to remind ourselves of these two verses. I'm not sure if this will click on. Could you just click the, the, the animation on there just again and again, twice? Okay, and then the, the next one, sorry, yeah. So let's read this again. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, 
Whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Now, if you ever memorize Scripture, and I encourage you to do that if you've never actually embarked on this, then you would do well to try and memorize these two verses in whatever version of the Bible you read. The Philippians have given him cause, this apostle, cause for great joy and praise. However, his desire is that they strive in their minds and in their actions and in their life to maintain the unity of mind, love, spirit and purpose and we read all that in chapter two now that is difficult is it not i don't know what it's like in the far east here in edinburgh but i've got enough experience in glasgow in what i call the shire lanarkshire to know over the course of my 32 years as a christian that unity needs to be maintained. It needs to be prayed about. It needs to not be taken for granted. I, I can take you to, and, and no doubt you can as well, to places where gospel work has, has disintegrated over the weekend or overnight because of lack of, of unity. And so Paul is saying, finally, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, excellent, admirable. Think about these things. And if you've ever wondered why the Apostle Paul asks us to think about these things, uh, why doesn't he just say, do these things? Well, he does really, if you go on to, to, to verse 9. He's doing the two. He's, he's saying it's linked to what, what we think is linked to how we live. You see, what we fill our minds with will spill out into action. That is why he says in another letter in Romans chapter 12 from, from verse 1, that the hinge of the letter, therefore, brothers, in view of God's mercy, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And then he continues, do not conform any longer to the pattern of the, this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. Uh, for a number of years when we worked in, in France, I worked uh, particularly with young people, and quite often they would ask me the question, how can I know God's will for my life? And quite often they were asking the question because they wanted to know what career they, they, they had, who to marry. Imagine asking a boy from Lanarkshire who they should marry. Um, and all, all, all these questions. And I kept coming back to Romans chapter 12 with them. I said, let's present our bodies as living sacrifices. Be transformed by the renewing of our mind. Then we will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. We need to fill our minds with God. We need to fill our minds with whatever is noble, whatever is right, 
whatever is trustworthy, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, excellent, and praiseworthy, that's the beginning of a life that rejoices in Christ, which this letter is about. Joy. Having that peace of mind of knowing that you belong to God and everything that you're filling your mind with is an honor of God. Do you find that a challenge? I do. Especially in our culture and generation. I had a, a meeting recently in a, in a school with a number of a number of uh, uh, parents that, that came together in the school. And in one particular year group, they had an issue with what the young people were, they were finding in the young people's phones. And that's what they were filling their, their minds with and their eyes and their, their lives with. Young, 13, 12, 13-year-olds. Did you notice that as these things are listed, they are perfumed with truth and honesty? I, I um, um, don't want to, especially coming from central Scotland, don't want to, uh, and, and it's not my intention to get, to get political at all, but if you look across the po- po- political parties, do you see noble things? Do you see trustworthy things? Do you see lovely things? Do you see right things? Do you see admirable things and excellent things and praiseworthy things? I think not. It is also here to commit my mind to moral purity. Lovely means beautifully attractive. And not beautifully attractive in the way that Hollywood would portray beauty and attraction, no. But beautifully attractive in what God sees as good and lovely. A life perfumed by the presence and the place of God in our minds and hearts. Brothers and sisters, and I speak to Christians, we're at war every time we turn our TVs on. We are at war when we open our newspapers. We are at war when we put our PIN number into our smartphones and we go online. We need to be aware that our enemy will use every means to take beauty and attraction and attractive thoughts and pervert them for his own means in order to destroy your fruitfulness and ability to serve and worship your Lord. Tonight, I finish a series I've been teaching this year. Um, the young people of Airdre Ebenezer have been teaching them through Ephesians, and we're getting there at, right at the end of the, of, of the chapter tonight. And my mind has been in that this week as well, as, as, as I'm going to remind these young people that they are in a battle. They are in a battle. As soon as you open your eyes in the morning, you are in a battle over your fruitfulness for the, for, in the Lord's service. What am I going to fill my mind with when I wake up tomorrow morning? It's the first thing I reach for my, my mobile phone to see who, who, who's, who's texted me or who sent me a WhatsApp or whatever. And then suddenly, have you ever noticed that when you're searching for something online, that you search for one thing and you go off down a whole load of, of rabbit holes? And before you know it, an hour has passed and you've not actually 
found out what you were online for. We are in a battle over our minds. And I see this challenge in my own life when I have some downtime and I decide to watch some box set and then within an episode or so the most awful image or the most awful language or scene comes across my television screen and fills my living room. I'm in a battle. Be careful what we fill our minds with. Here are the things Paul says we should fill our minds with. Think about these things. Mull over them. When you think about it, Jesus is the one who is true, who is noble, who is right, who is pure, who is lovely, who is admirable, who is excellent, who is praiseworthy. Fill your mind with him. Think about him. And finally, Paul says, Whatever you have learned or received or heard or seen in me, put it into practice. Do you know, I, I see this in my own, my own children are now teenagers, <laughs> 17, 16, and 13, so pray for me. Um, but as I saw my children grow, and as I saw them develop in language, and I saw them develop in attitude and and uh, practice. You know, it was amazing to me as I looked on just how quickly they picked up their mother's bad habits. <laughs> I was forgetting this is recorded. Sorry, darling, if you're listening. They, they're like sponges, aren't they? Turns of phrase they use, and I can hear myself. And sometimes now that I'm now the other side of 50, just, um, I can hear my own father. I can hear my mother. I can hear their turn of phrase. I'm actually thinking the way they thought. Because that's how it was brought up. You see, here in this passage, there are people whom you meet in life who change your life forever. It could be someone who will become your life partner or a boss or someone who encourages you or a parent, a wife, a husband, a child, a boss, a colleague, whatever. I would imagine if you met the Apostle Paul, you would have had cause to think that this man was quite remarkable. I mean, just in the previous chapter, just a few studies ago for you, you would have come across his CV. Do you remember it? In chapter 3 circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church. And it's this what strikes me. As for righteousness based on the law, I was faultless. But it would not just have been his CV you would have been impressed by. It was his life. In another letter, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, you are to imitate me as I imitate Christ. That sends shivers down my spine when I think of the people that I'm responsible for as one of the under-shepherds in our church, as a youth leader, as a Bible teacher. Whatever you are to imitate me as I imitate Christ. Oh, the importance of the apostle, the leader, and indeed leaders ever since then, to be examples of the flock and to others. People are watching us. And what we preach, we need to practice. 
One of the reasons I don't allow my family to travel with me is they don't listen to every message I preach online. <laughs> Just as well, yeah, I'm doing quite a few this, this, this week. But when they hear a message from me, my children remind me of it during the week. You said, <laughs> oh I. You taught. Do you think that, 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 that's the way you should live in, in, in what you taught on Sunday? And I would encourage you to look again through this letter and note what Paul has been teaching these Philippians because it was vital for them and it's relevant and vital for us today. And just looking at the way you have divided up this letter, his teaching included the fact that these Philippians were in Christ Jesus. They were looking forward to the day of Christ Jesus. They had to preach Christ Jesus. They had to live for Christ Jesus. They had to live worthily of the gospel of Christ Jesus. Their through humility was in Christ Jesus. The example of Christ is here shining in the darkness, the interests and works of Jesus Christ, knowing Christ personally, pressing on towards the goal, standing firm in the Lord, thinking and practicing, and next week, the contented Christian. That's what Paul was teaching at Philippi. So here we have it, Paul's specific teaching and his general teaching. You know, Paul is not bringing some new teaching here concerning the need for us to put the word of God into practice and to follow good example. This has been all the way through the scriptures. Adam, you are free to eat from every tree, but you must not eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge, for when you eat of it, you will surely die. Put my word into practice, Adam, obey me. Moses, on the brink of his death, he says, he teaches a song to the, 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 the people of Israel, and he says this, take to heart all the words I have solemnly declared to you this day. Be careful to obey all the words, for, uh, for they are not just idle words for the, you, they are your life, and by them you will live long in the, the land you are crossing the Jordan to possess. Moses then dies. Who comes on the scene? Joshua. Do not let this book of the Lord depart from your mouth. Meditate on it day and night. What is Paul saying? Meditate on these things. Think about these things. Psalm, Psalm 119, don't worry, I'm not going to quote it all. But Psalm 119, we were doing a series on that in our own church just recently. Meditate on your precepts. I will meditate on your precepts and consider your ways. I delight in your decrees. I will not neglect your word. Friends, we need to be people who meditate on the truth of God, which was revealed through the law, the prophets, the gospel writers, and the apostles. And Paul says, what you've seen in me, not just heard, not just listened to, but seen. Paul's life had been transformed by the living Lord Jesus. On the road to Damascus, as, in, as he had in his back pocket, well, not quite his back pocket, but his satchel. If he had a pair of jeans on, it would have been his back pocket. Letters to arrest those who belong to the way. And on that road, he met the risen Lord Jesus. He who was a Christian hater and persecutor became himself hated and persecuted by others. And the former persecutor, now a pastor, who has a concern for his fellow Christians, and you get the passion within his heart as he tells them, look at my life. 
I thank God every time I remember you that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about you. Since I have you in my heart, look at my life. Live the way that I live. And, and you see his desire to press on, knowing that he is not perfect, but the one he serves is perfect. He says, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow to attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this, or I have already arrived at my goal, but I press on. Follow my example, Paul says. And while Paul did not write the old gospel song in the Redemption hymn book, more about Jesus, he would sing it with all his heart. More about Jesus would I know. More of his grace to others show. More of his saving fullness see. More of his love who died for me. More about Jesus on his throne. Riches and glory all his own. More of his kingdom sure increase. More of his coming, Prince of Peace. He also had a desire for the lost. Follow my example. I have a desire for the lost, Paul says. He wanted to see more and more people getting saved. You see that in the way he stresses the importance of the gospel. I want you to know that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. You know, if I was writing this letter... I'd be telling people about just how uncomfortable these chains were. But I want you to know that the fact that I'm in chains, the gospel has gone out. Be like him. Joy in spite of his suffering. The letter to the Philippians is a letter of joy. Rejoice in the Lord. Always I will say it again, rejoice. Paul viewed his life in the light of Christ. In the light of eternity. And the light of what his own life was really all about. We don't like suffering, do we? I am often with the family at some appointment at a GP or the specialist in, in a place in Glasgow and so on. We see specialists all the time and we long for that GP appointment, don't we? We wonder where on earth we are on the list for someone to look at our knee or hip or skin issue. But Paul was suffering not for these reasons, but because of Christ. Have a right and godly biblical understanding of suffering seen in the light of God. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. And Paul finishes this little section by writing, the God of peace will be with you. When he says finally here, incidentally, don't trust the preacher when he says finally. Paul's already said it at the beginning of chapter 3, and he's gone on for another two chapters. But this is my final point. The world is crying out for peace. Peace in Ukraine. Peace in our hearts. Do you know real peace in your life? It starts with a visit to the cross where God provided a way, the only true way of real peace as he reconciled people to himself 
through the blood of Jesus shed on the cross. So I present to you these two verses, but more than that, I present to you my Savior and Lord, Jesus Christ. Think about him. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this freedom that we have in this place to freely share from your word without fear of persecution. We thank you, Father, that we have the liberty and freedom to meet with one another and to worship you. And thank you, Father, that you've heard the words of our heart, that you have looked into our hearts. And we trust that the our hearts and our minds, our very souls would match our voices today in worship and adoration of you. Thank you for Jesus. Help us to meditate on him this week. In Jesus' name, amen.